So we are recording now. Can you talk into your mic? Hello. Happy September. Happy pumpkin season. Ooh, pumpkin season. (laughs) (laughs) This episode of Talking Underwater is brought to you by Surumi Pump. Surumi Pump, built for work. Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Lauren Estes, Managing Editor of Water Quality Products Magazine. I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. And I'm Bob Crossan, Senior Managing Editor for Water and Waste Digest. In this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we will discuss the U.S. EPA National Water Reuse Action Plan and touch on the repeal of Waters of the United States language by the U.S. EPA and the U.S. Army. Also, What exactly is the silver tsunami? If you aren't familiar with the term, we'll catch you up. Finally, our interview this month is with Radhika Fox, CEO of U.S. Water Alliance, which developed the One Water Roadmap. But before we get to news, we have to introduce our newest managing editor, Katie Johns. Welcome, Katie. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your background in journalism? So I um, went to the Missouri School of Journalism, and then I worked at a weekly newspaper in Florida for three years before doing a short stint with Bobbitt Business Media, and then I joined um, the team as managing editor of Stormwater Solutions two weeks ago. Um, (laughs) So I'm happy to be here, and I'm excited to be here as well. We're happy to have you on our team as well. Thank you. So shall we get into news? Let's dig on in. All right. Uh, The first news item, as Lauren said, was the U.S. EPA releasing the National Water Reuse Action Plan for public comment. Um, We wanted to, before we got deep into this, encourage you to leave a comment using the docket number, which is EPA-HQ-OW-2019-0174. If you can't remember that, which I understand, it is on the news post on um, the Water and Waste Digest website. The comment period is open for 90 days as well. So to give you an idea of this plan, it was inspired by and references both the U.S. Water Alliance One Water Roadmap as well as the AWWA Total Water Concept. In its opening paragraphs, it explains that that regardless of terminology, the National Water Reuse Action Plan aims to replace the traditional fragmented siloed approach often applied to water resources management with broader, more comprehensive solutions and strategies to meet diverse water quality and quantity needs. So another aspect of this, too, is that it was developed by several federal, state, tribal, and water sector stakeholders. In particular, the water stakeholders were the Water Reuse Association, Water Environment Federation, American Water Works Association, and Water Research Foundation. But there are several others that were also on the list, but the list is too numerous for us to name them all here. So if you wanted to learn more about those, you can check out the press releases as well. Um, That said, we really wanted to touch on this because we see it as an important point in determining the future of water in the U.S., this could, be, this could really reshape how the country looks at water problems. And as we are a One Water podcast, referencing those One Water frameworks is something that we, I think, all can totally get behind. So I just wanted to open that up to you guys. What did you guys think uh, from what you read there? Um, well, I think that we touched on this, but um, you know, a notable point is that 
um, in the next decade, 80% of the United States um, are anticipating water shortages. So this is going to become pretty important to see what can happen with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's specifically mentioned in, like, I think the second page of the whole document Mm -hmm. is, like, 40 out of 50 states in 10 years will are saying they're going to deal with water scarcity. And what's crazy about that is just how many parts of the United States border areas where fresh water lies to or has fresh water within it. So I think this is something really exciting that all of us on the podcast and then across the water industry as a whole will be excited to track and follow what happens. Uh, it's special because it marks an occasion where the U.S. EPA is collaborating with water industries and associations, listening to the voices from across the water sector, all the way from drinking water to the wastewater and stormwater sectors. So we'll all very excitedly be following along with the comment period and to see what sort of action plan goes into effect. Yeah, totally. I, I'm really interested in reading it in full and learning a lot more about what is actually in the proposals. I haven't had a chance to read it all the way through, which I'm sure most people haven't had that opportunity yet either, but I'm really interested in that. So, The other exciting part about this plan is that it's marking an occasion where there's a shift in how we think about water. We've been seeing this one water movement slowly and steadily rise across our industry, hence the need for our podcast and our conversation, but to see this recognized on a more national national platform is very, very exciting. Yeah, and to see the EPA embrace it in this way also means that it could likely trickle down into like the public ether too. Like, Mm-hmm. The normal people that we would talk to on a daily basis might learn more about water reuse strategies. They might understand it more if there is this bigger push from a federal agency like this. So, And part of what I read when I was looking over it is that um, they said that, you know, public education is going to be so important, whereas a lot of mm-hmm. people don't really know much about potable reusable water. So educating the community is going to be a big factor in it, too. So I'm eager to see what they do. In yeah, that regard. and this could be a huge uh, launching off point for um, potable reuse of wastewater as well. From that standpoint, I, I, I truly do see um, reused wastewater as being a critical piece of the puzzle for a lot of the arid states at least, but I think that it could also be a critical piece of just the water strategy of the United States in 20 to 30 years. It could be a really important aspect of making sure we all have water. So. And when it comes to potable wastewater reuse, it circles back to what Katie just mentioned, how consumer education is so Mm -hmm. insanely important there because of the stigma associated around it. For sure. For sure. So interestingly, this news also occurred in the same week that the U.S. EPA and U.S. Army repealed the 2015 Waters of the United States rule. Um, We definitely see that this there's a lot of magnitude to this in the industry and to waste and how this will impact wastewater permitting requirements. But we're not planning to do a deep dive on that this episode because we want to better understand the ramifications of things before we make any comments. However, we did do an episode on Waters of the United States um, earlier this year, I believe. It is episode eight, and you can listen to that one if you wanted to hear a little more on our thoughts regarding that subject. So. And listeners, if you do have thoughts that you'd like to share with us on the Water Reuse Action Plan or on the repeal of WOTUS, please do send us an email at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts and engage with you in a conversation. Definitely, definitely. Uh, On to the silver tsunami. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so next, I just came back this week from San Antonio, Texas, where I attended the Water Quality Association Mid-Year Leadership Conference, and I wanted to share with you all an amusing story that occurred to me there and then pick the brains of my fellow co-hosts about their experiences with this. So at the leadership conference, there was a town hall meeting for the first time ever, which was very exciting. And I posed a question, which was, a so-called silver tsunami is coming across the water industry. How is WQA working to prepare for the shift in work door workforce dynamics and attract young talent to the industry. And when I posed this question, the entire room just exploded over the term silver tsunami, which I've heard before, Bob has heard mm -hmm. before. Um, I promise it was not a term I invented for that occasion, <laughs> but reactions were, what is this silver tsunami? Is it a pesticide? Is it a water contaminant? Oh, wait, it's the gray hair on our heads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to pick your guys' brain about your thoughts on this particular issue of the shifting workforce dynamic from each of your own sectors that you explore. I think it's probably one of the biggest issues facing all three of our industries. Um, it, it has really wide-ranging ramifications on ensuring that we have people to fill the space of those who are retiring, but also ramifications to the legacy knowledge that is withheld in all of these individuals' brains. They're insanely smart people who have a lot of knowledge about how all of these things work. And as they retire, where does that knowledge go? How do we retain that knowledge? How can we make sure the next generation of water workforce knows what to do in certain situations as well? And who should be a part of those conversations and making sure that knowledge is retained. Um, it's a really important issue, I think, and could drastically change the way that we look at uh, water in the future. And without, without capturing their knowledge, I think that it could really make some bad things happen probably too. I think jumping off of that point that having, you know, offices that have multiple generations in them is, are so important so that you can, mm -hmm. the, that legacy information can be passed down to the newer generations um, because every industry is evolving right now and I think a lot of it is because there's this silver tsunami and then this younger generation coming up. So I think that, you know, all these generations have to work together to kind of continue the legacy mm -hmm. of, their, of their industries. For sure. That's a really great point that the issue is not just about finding and attracting new employees, it's also about retaining that legacy knowledge mm -hmm. and making sure that when the new workforce or the new age of the workforce does start trickling in, they have the tools they need to push the industry forward. Mm -hmm. And developing the plans and frameworks now to make sure that we can develop people for the tsunami that would happen after this one. Because this won't be the last one. There's going to be giant waves with each generational mm -hmm. shift and making sure that we have the tools necessary to encourage people to join the water industry, to join the wastewater industry, stormwater, erosion control, all of that, and provi providing those tools and getting kids involved in the science of that at an early age could really help shape the future of water as well. So individually, each of our brands, Water Waste Digest, Stormwater Solutions, and Water Quality Products are tracking these trends. Every year we put out a state of the industry survey it's out right now, and we'd love to hear your feedback so we can hear from you about how these trends are impacting you and your business and the decisions that you're making in the coming year as well.
totally. Cool. And for our interview this month, we have Radhika Fox. She is the CEO of the U.S. Water Alliance that puts on the One Water Summit every year. They also initiate the water prizes as well. They award those at their One Water Summit. Um, so we interviewed her at WEFTEC and also to talked to her a little bit about Imagine a Day Without Water, which is something that we are going to be getting much more greatly behind in this year. So here's our interview with Radhika. Wonderful to be with you all. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. We have a fan. Thank you, Radhika. Um, so we're here today with Radhika because the U.S. Water Alliance is a national nonprofit organization advancing the sustainable one water policies and programs. So ahead of Imagine a Day Without Water, we couldn't think of a better person to speak with. So um, Radhika, on that subject, why don't you tell us a little bit about Imagine a Day Without Water, the U.S. Water Alliance's plans for it, and how folks can get involved. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. So um, the U.S. Water Alliance is really uh, proud to staff the Value of Water campaign, which is an industry-wide effort to build public and political will for greater investment in our nation's water resources. And so on October uh, 23rd, we're hosting our fifth annual Imagine a Day Without Water. And Imagine a Day Without Water is a chance for anybody who cares about our nation's water future to really stand up and talk about why. Um, so last year we had, you know, uh, over 1,100 organizations around the country participating. We reached over 8 million people with our message about the value of water. And what I love so much about Imagine a Day is just the creativity that uh, people bring to it. So of course, many of our water utilities, you know, they open up their treatment plants and they're, um, you know, so that people can do tours, but you've got car washes that are doing things about the value of water. There's contests, singing contests in the schools. Um, and so it really is uh, an inflection point for the nation about why we have to value uh, our nation's water and infrastructure and why we really need to up our game as far as investing in it. Can you tell us a little bit about the inception of the, the Imagine a Day Without Water, the value of the water campaign, and how that came to be, why you felt there was a need for it? that it wasn't my idea. <laughs> and, and actually, I was at the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, and a number of the water industry organizations, AWWA, WEF, we're here at WEFTEC, um, AMWA, NACWA, um, they, they all said, you know, we are all doing great things when it comes to uh, really uh, advancing the policy priorities of our members, uh, providing peer opportunities, et cetera. That you know, when it comes to elevating water in the national debate, we have to speak with one voice, right? Because I mean, it's just like your your podcast, right? You're bringing all your verticals together. It's the same with that. That we might have a different uh, agenda around stormwater or wastewater or drinking water in in Washington, but at the end of the day, if we elevate water in the national debate, we all win. And that was really the premise of the Value of Water campaign. And then, um, you know, of course, the U.S. Water Alliance is so thrilled to be able to staff it, but it's really on behalf of the sector. Um, joining all of those association partners, as many private companies 
as well as um, a lot of the major utilities from around the country. And then I think Imagine a Day Without Water came, uh, was really, um, you know, I think a lot of times we really try to have a positive message when it comes to why we need to invest in water. But we also felt like having this day where you actually ask people to think for a moment, like you couldn't make a cup of coffee, you couldn't flush your toilet, you couldn't take a shower um, without this essential resource. And we wanted to sort of stand up and have people take notice on that. And that's really a way to reach not just the people in the water industry who are familiar with the different yeah. verticals, but also the everyday folks, the yeah. consumers. Yeah. Thank you. And kind of shifting gears a little bit, can you kind of give an overview of the One Water Roadmap and kind of explain it to our listeners? Yeah. So, um, you know, when I came on board as the um, ED of the U.S. Water Alliance, I had a lot of our members and partners saying, you know, One Water, it's such a powerful concept, um, but it's fuzzy, right? What does that really mean? And so the, with the One Water Roadmap, what we really tried to do is both give people a framework for how to think about uh, the integration of water management across the life cycle of the drop, right? We've been so good at slicing and dicing that drop of water, um, just drinking water, it's our storm water, it's our nuisance flooding, it's our and actually it's all one water, right? So uh, in that roadmap, uh, we really offer um, six broad arenas where we were seeing progress happening around more integrated approaches to water management. And so things like how do, are we building reliable and resilient uh, utilities through things like uh, uh, resource recovery and climate resilience and uh, new business models and consolidation of utility service, so reliable and resilient utilities. Um, the second area of the One Water Roadmap is around um, rec the recognition that 80% of the population in this country lives in urban centers, and so how we manage water in cities, in towns, really matters. So lots of strategies around that. We also look at um, the ways in which business is stepping up, right? Uh, Water-reliant businesses and that the role they play in stewardship. Um, agriculture, obviously the biggest user of water, the biggest contributor to nutrients in our waterways, so um, sustainable agriculture. We also believe uh, that the One Water movement won't be successful unless we have equity and inclusion to make sure that all communities are benefiting. And so that is another big area. And then finally, healthy watersheds, because without that, um, we can't secure our nation's future. But really, uh, you know, lots of technical um, ideas and lots of successful strategies that are outlined in that roadmap. But, you know, really what we want the roadmap to be is really a call to action um, for all stakeholders to see themselves as part of the One Water Movement. So I know one of the things that we totally recognize is how transcendent One Water is. It transcends kind of everything. It's not just about the equipment. It's not just about the engineers and all that. And one of the big portions of that is art, it's arts and culture. Right. Could you speak a little bit to the importance of arts and culture to this entire movement and what why, yeah. why that's such a critical part of it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's so interesting because last year when we launched this body of work around arts and culture, a lot of the folks in water were like, what, what are they doing over there? But then it really made sense as people dig into it because, you know, if we're really going to succeed in um, a, a sustainable water future, we've got to change the narrative around water in this country, right? We 
have to make these invisible systems visible to people. And we have to do it in a way that helps people connect at, I think, a core personal um, level to water. And arts and culture is a great mechanism for that, right? Think about that first concert that you went to <laughs> where you felt it in your heart and your soul, right? And, 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 and using arts and culture as a tool to help people to connect to water, that's what we're trying to do. And, you know, what we have found is it's actually incredibly powerful at getting um, the policy changes that we need. So, for example, one of my favorite artist is this woman, Eve Mosier, and she does a project called High Waterline, and she first did that project in New York where, you know, she knew, you know, the sea levels are going to rise and what that would mean for New Yorkers, so she she walked miles, I think hundreds of miles of the, um, the, the shoreline, the coastline, thank you, uh, with blue chalk um, to indicate this is where sea level would rise, and and ended up happening is she had all kinds of conversations with, with everyday people about what that meant, that that community center that you go to, that grocery store that you shop at, those are going to be underwater soon. Um, and she did that right uh, before Hurricane Sandy, a couple years before that, and all of it obviously came to be. Um, but when we're trying to communicate complicated things like the sea level is going to rise six inches in X number of years, for people to fathom what that means. Um, and that's why we think arts and culture has to be one tool in our toolbox um, in, in really making the case. And I, so how, that, that sounds like it bridges kind of a gap between the professionals here in this industry yeah. and then the, the, the general public. Could yeah. you speak a little bit to how that, how that works? Yeah, I mean, I to me, I think what we believe just through the Value of Water campaign and through the U.S. Water Alliance is that you know, when we bring everyone together to the table with their wisdom, with their experiences, we really can build more durable solutions, right? Um, and so, again, arts and culture is one way to do that. I mean, the work that you all do each and every day on behalf of the industry through your podcasts and your social media work, etc. I mean, that's another part of it. Um, but yeah, it's all about how do we speak with one voice on the value of water. This is an interesting location to be having that conversation today. You know, here at WEFTEC, we're bringing people from across the water industry together to have those conversations. So um, excited to hear about some of the conversations you're having on the show floor today and how you're touching that message to other people here. Yeah. Um, well, the you know the conversations are always so expansive and wonderful here at WEFTEC, but you know. One of the conversations that I just came from this morning was the uh, WEF NACWA Utility Leaders Breakfast, and that happens every morning. Um, and it really, every year, they bring a, a, you know, a pressing issue. What's an issue that is really keeping utility leaders up at night? And so this year's theme was really around affordability. And, you know, it was a fabulous discussion that included, of course, Andrew Sawyer giving the EPA's perspective, this new. Uh, NACWA, AWWA WEF study around how can we reimagine how we're defining affordability for the, you know, for this next century. I brought in the perspective around how we as the water industry can't do that alone. We have to be in relationship with the communities that are most impacted by the affordability crisis. So I think that's been one of my top conversations, but there's so many countless others, um, which is what you can always rely on uh, WEF tech for. 
you were just awarded the U.S. Water Prize last week. Can you kind you of... awarded those, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You awarded those. I hope one day <laughs> I will be awarded the U.S. Water Prize. Um, it's, my, it's my dream in life. <laughs> Can you talk about what it means to shepherd that kind of program? Yeah. You know, I, I love the U.S. Water Prize. It is, uh, as a number of folks said, they feel like it's the Emmy Awards in the water sector. But it kind of is. Yeah, you know? <laughs> Thank you. Same uh, time of year as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, but, so the, we award it uh, on an annual basis, and it really is recognizing that courageous leadership um, to towards One Water. Um, what I love about the Water Prize is that we um, award it to folks who are really making progress, but that the story and the journey is not done. So it both is celebrating the success that they have had so far, but also um, being the wing beneath the wings as they take it to the next level. And so this year we had a fabulous, fabulous lineup um, for our uh, outstanding public sector. We uh, It was the city of Re uh, Cedar Rapids for their upstream-downstream partnerships on water quality. Uh, in the private sector category, it was a B Corp called Greenprint Partners. That was in Peoria. In Peoria, yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, for outstanding uh, nonprofit, uh, we, it was uh, EJ Water Cooperative and the work that they're doing around bringing uh, rural uh, service to water, water service to rural communities. Outstanding uh, cross-sector collaboration is uh, for Camden County uh, for uh, the way in which all kinds of partners have come together around dealing with environmental justice and green infrastructure issues. Um, Mayor Garcetti from Los Angeles uh, won the Outstanding Public Official Award for his true leadership on some of these issues they around so much. So much, so much. And the alignment between all the different agencies. And then one of the awards that I love the most is the one that's around Outstanding Journalism on the Value of Water. And so we uh, gave that award to American Public Media for some of their water coverage. But yeah, they did a bunch last year. Yeah, they really did. And so, and to me, what I love, again, about the Water Prize is that it's so easy to get bogged down in all of the challenges that we face in the sector. Um, and so the Water Prize is really reminding us that our capacity for innovation is far greater than the challenges before us. So, so to close it out, Radhika, can you tell our listeners where and how they can find more information about Imagine a Day Without Water coming up next month? Thank you. And it is just literally around the corner, just yes. a month away. Um, so you can go to our website, www.imagineadaywithoutwater.org. Uh, please sign up um, and join us. Um, and we have all kinds of open source resources. You know, if you want to get your mayor to do a proclamation about why your city values water, grab it and, and tailor it. If you're looking for social media graphics, it's there for you. If you want to do an op-ed about the water challenges and opportunities in your community, grab it and tailor it. But uh, really, we hope all of your listeners will join us. We do as well. Great. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to have you with us. And Thank you. Have Thank a great so show. Much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Radhika Fox, for your time. We really enjoyed the chance to catch up with you at WAFTEC and are excited about the things that the U.S. Water Alliance has in the works, including Imagine a Day Without Water coming up October 23rd. Stay tuned. The water team here is going to be doing some more coverage on that event closer to it 
and we'll be thinking about it. Yeah. And if you are interested in signing up, you could sign up on the website and get some tools and resources to also participate. That is imagineadaywithoutwater.com. Awesome. So that concludes our episode for this month. If you like what we're doing here, um, please share it with other people, subscribe, and if you can, please leave a review. It's always good and helps us out. Uh, you can find us on all of your major podcasting networks, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, um, anywhere that you can find a podcast, you can find us. So leave us reviews in as many places as possible. It'll help us out. But before we, before we left, we wanted to also mention the Infrastructure Virtual Summit. This is October 1st through 3rd. It is a summit using the audiences and the knowledge of the roads and bridges, stormwater solutions and erosion control, and wastewater and wastewater municipal industries, combining them all together to talk about the challenges of infrastructure, provide some cool keynote speakers on that. Um, the American Society of Civil Engineers is among those. So is um, Stanley Consultants, I believe. So. Please do sign up for that. You can do so at roads-water-summit.com. And we also wanted to thank 3M for being the Roads and Bridges exclusive sponsor for this event. They're really helping us put this together. So thank big, big shout out to them for helping out. And that can, that's it. That's all I got. That's all she that's wrote. It. Thanks all <laughs> for all right. listening. Thank you for listening.